Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Ajay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Hello, and welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. This week is going to be episode number 45. We are still in the series of lessons on the seven I Ams of Jesus from the book of John. And this week we are taking uh, our statement from John 10, starting at verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, that's going to be an interesting one to walk through, but I'm, I am going to say I find a lot of interesting parallels to last week where Jesus uh, was saying, I am the gate. And we talked about uh, how a shepherd literally lays down in the threshold of the sheep pen uh, to keep the sheep safe by keeping predators out and the sheep in. And uh, that, you know, only the shepherd walks through the threshold and anyone else who goes over the walls or climbs in another way is just a thief, someone who's there to kill, steal, and destroy. So these two tie pretty well together, Ajay. The uh, the whole shepherd analogy, last week we talked about sheep being a really good uh, metaphor for the day because shepherding sheep and all of that were very, very common throughout Israel in those days. So from the gate to the shepherd himself, what what do you what say you, Ajay? Yeah, so Tim, even I also observed that, and we talked about it last time, right? He's in this small passage, right? He short passage, he's identifying himself both as a shepherd and the door or the gate, right? And it is not unusual with our Lord Jesus Christ. For example, you know, he is both the gift and the giver, right? He is both the priest and the offering. So similarly, you know, in fact, you know, he's all things, he's our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is no wonder that he is not only the gate and the way to the law to God, but you know, he is also the good shepherd and he's both the gate and the shepherd. Um, so one thing that uh, struck me right away is um, the main text of our today's podcast is I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So here in a short sentence, right, you know, the Lord defines what good is all about, right? If I say I'm good to somebody, I'm actually ready to give my life for them. That's what the meaning of good is. So it's clearly, you know, that's what struck me. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, what does a good shepherd do? It's not like, you know, he feeds the sheep, you know, he takes care of the sheep, you know. He's kind of watching over them. No, he goes to the extreme and says, you know, I give my life. You know, that is the definition of God's good. That's why, you know, the Lord said, you know, when he talked to the Pharisees, he said, there's nobody good but God. But in our definition, right, you know, we bring down the uh, level of goodness to human goodness, right? You know, if we do something nice, you know, a little favor to somebody, you know, we think, okay, we are being good. But I think I want to kind of uh, bring our attention to this, right? In God's view, 
being good means giving his life to us see how 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 awesome it is so whenever we hear you know god is good oh, you know we all say right you know god is so good to me god is so good to me but i wonder how many of us realize that the definition of good is jesus is going to the extent of giving his life for us if he didn't do that he's basically not good so i you know it's interesting you say that um because nobody but Jesus knew what he was saying in part there because he was going to the cross. He was literally going to give his life for his sheep, his people. And no one, I, I don't think anyone had an inkling in that moment when he was saying that here, that this was going to happen. Yep. Only him. One of the things after listening uh, to your podcast from last week, the one that I uh, missed, but it in no way was a detriment. That was an excellent discussion. One of the things you guys just started to to, to kind of enter into, um, it wasn't the main gist of that scripture, so that's probably why. I'd like to delve into a little deeper, because as I look at last week, you guys talking about, I am the gate, I am the door. That's the one way in. Okay, here he's talking about he's the good shepherd and that anybody else co- that comes by another way is a thief and a robber. These, th- this whole chapter 10 really, to me, is talking about just the exclusivity of Christ, you know? And I don't think we have to come into that bashfully because, you know, so much of uh, today's society is so relativistic and, oh, your truth is fine for you, my truth is fine for me. But that's just silliness because truth has a definition. Truth is exclusive. It's absolutely exclusive of everything that's not true. You don't have to believe. You could say, you know what? Gravity is your truth. Yeah, but when I push you off the Hancock building, you're going to find out that what's true for me is true for you because true is true. And that's what I think I really love about this chapter. And you pointed this out, Ajay, that not only is Jesus saying that I am the gate, you can't get in any other way, but you pointed out, you alluded to it that, and beside that being the fact, there's only one way through that gate. And it's not by the law or by works or by other world religions. It's only through Christ. That's the one way. And there's only one way to receive Christ. You can't earn him, deserve him, merit him. It's by faith. It's by the Spirit drawing you and filling you um, with faith in his work on the cross. So I just love how he goes into great depth here in a couple different ways. And we all know the famous other scriptures, you know, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And it's uh, Paul said, uh, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So I just think he's dealing clearly with the exclusivity. So you cannot take Jesus as one way, as so many other people in the world and secular humanism, other religions think there are many ways. Jesus is either the one way or he's no way at all because he's saying, I am the way. No one comes to the Father. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. You come through me and you come by faith through my grace and love for you. There's no other way. So I just love how clear he makes it. He's not 
he's not leaving it up to people to define who he is. So, in fact, uh, I think uh, I had this discussion uh, before uh, at work, you know, with one of the Jews. I think the way sometimes, you know, we present the gospel is like, you know, we present Lord Jesus Christ as not as the only way of escape, right? We present him as a condition, right? So, I think in general, what people think is, you know, the whole world is fine and dandy, right? They're happily living and then this guy called... Jesus shows up on the scene and places a condition. If you believe in me, you're going to heaven. Otherwise, I'm going to send you to hell, right? People interpret like that and people present the gospel like that, but that's not the case, right? It's everybody is in a sinking boat. You know, we use this analogy. They are not fine and dandy. It's not like people are playing on a playground, right? All the kids are playing and suddenly this big guy, you know, angry guy shows up. Hey, you believe in me, otherwise you're not playing anymore, right? I'm going to put you in the jail. It's not like that. Everybody is in a sinking ship. And the only lifeboat available is Lord Jesus Christ, right? If there are 10 other lifeboats, he doesn't mind because his heart is to save the people, right? But there's only one lifeboat and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So by being, he becomes exclusive because he's the only way. If there's any other way, I'm sure, you know, God would have taken that way instead of sending his son to the cross. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to touch on what Mark just said uh, about we, we can proclaim this unabashedly. And, and I would say that I agree with that completely because there is no system of religion on the entire planet that is not exclusive. There's every one of them is exclusive to some point or another, whether you're following uh you know, a prophet and everyone who doesn't believe are infidels, or if you're following, everyone has their exclusivity. So why do we need to be apologetic for that when someone challenges us? Oh, you're just so rigid. It has to be Jesus. What about, and then they'll throw up their hundred roadblocks. I'm sorry. I maybe don't have all the answers for all your roadblocks, but I do know this. Jesus is the way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I just want to add uh, other religions, they may be exclusive, but they're not true. So they are not, they won't help. <laughs> Understood. Right. And, yeah. and it's, it's up to each seeker to some extent to seek truth, to seek, you know, if you, if you, so many people believe Jesus is there, call out to him, ask him and just, just give an honest prayer. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just say, Lord, if you are there, if you are God, show yourself to me. Let me understand and know, you know, I just think that's an honest prayer that anybody, any true honest seeker any in any religion can say, you know. Um, and one of the things I love what Jesus says here, he tells us how to recognize who the good shepherd is. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And, he, and if you read a little further on, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. What other shepherd in any other religion was beaten, flogged, spit on, mocked, crucified? You know, he gave his life for us. And I, I love this answer here when he says, no one takes my life from me. Because through the centuries, civilization has argued who killed Jesus. 
some say, oh, it's the Romans. They're the ones who crucified him. And it's big government, whatever, you know, and then say, no, no, but the Jews are the ones that forced them to do it. So they would actually become anti-Semitic and call Jewish people Christ killers. And then people of a more uh, spiritual ilk will say, no, it's my sin. It's my fault. But Jesus clears it up right here. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And that's what differentiates him from the good shepherds and the three thieves and the robbers. Yeah, that is an awesome point, uh, Mark. You know, uh, I also wanted to add, you know, he laid down his life not for good people, but for sinners. So there's no other religion, like you said, where you have a sinless man, right? Son of God actually laying down their life for sinful men. In fact, in many religions, you know, it says, you know, yes, they also had many incarnations of God. In fact, you know, in religions like Hinduism, but, and their philosophies, you know, God incarnated always to punish the evil and protect the righteous. But here, this good shepherd came to lay down his life for sinners. In fact, you know, Bible says, I did not call the righteous, but uh, sinners to repentance. And in fact, the beauty of it is, is there is nobody who is righteous. So if the Lord Jesus has to save only the righteous, nobody will be saved. I, I see two little points in there that intrigue me and I may look at further. But when you say, uh, when God said, I didn't come to save the righteous, well, first of all, no one is righteous. None. But second of all, when he says that, what he's really saying to me just now after hearing it and not really looking into it is, I didn't come to save the self-righteous, you know, because those are the people with the attitudes who won't accept me. Oh, I'm good enough, uh, this, that, and the other. He, it's, a, it's kind of a complex statement in very simple words. Yeah. Uh, Ajay, that point that you just made is an awesome, powerful point that not only did the good shepherd lay his life down for the sheep, he laid his life down for the black sheep. Yep. You know, and not only you can look around at every other world religion, nobody died for us, but the what they did was to get people to try to be better. You got to do this. You got to do that. Christ came and gave his life for the worst of us, for the worst in us. And, and I love, I don't remember, you probably know the address where it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though some might possibly dare for a, to die for a good man. But Christ died for sinners. I know I'm paraphrasing to some yep, extent yep, there. Exactly. Do you know the Amen. address of that one? Is that Romans? It's in Romans chapter 5. Okay. That is just such a great demonstration of his love. Yep. That when we're at our worst, no one took his life for us. He said, here I am, a body you prepared for me, the Lamb of God, and he gave himself up to be sacrificed for us. Not when we're at our best but when we were at our worst, not when we were giving 10% so that we could get, <laughs> not when we were in our 10-part series on how to be a better person, but when we were doing the very things that we really don't want to do. Yep. So. Yeah, so I would like to you know, go back to our text again, right? So verse 11, and if we go to verse 10, if you see the context, right? A thief does not come except to steal or to kill or to destroy. I have come 
that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So here you see the connection, right? You know, he's talking about abundant life. And then he talks about, you know, I am the good shepherd. So when we see the Lord Jesus Christ as our good shepherd, who gives his life for us, you know, that is the secret of abundant life. And in fact, you know, we cannot really talk about good shepherd without going back to Psalm 23, the famous verse, right? So I don't know if you guys were talk- thinking about it, but definitely, you know, that also supports it, right? You know, seeing God as a good shepherd, having his him as our good shepherd is the secret of abundant life. So I was going to go through all the verses in Psalm 23, but I'm going to stop maybe at uh, each of the verses, you know, so that you we can have a dialogue instead of just me doing a monologue. But I think the immediately, you know, the first thing, you know, I want to uh, focus on, you know, to back up the point that having Jesus as our good shepherd is the secret to abundant life, right? So if you go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or in other translations, it says, Lord is my shepherd and I shall not lack. So that is a secret. If you're not lacking, what do you have? You have abundant life. So that is one of the things, you know, that we see if we are lacking in life and if you are always, you know, whether it be uh, financially or whether it be physically, whether it's emotionally or even in your, uh, if you're lacking peace or joy or uh, rest, all that goes back to, you know, how do you see Lord Jesus Christ? Do you see him as your good shepherd or you basically, you know, don't see that? You know, when you see Lord Jesus Christ as your good shepherd, you have abundant life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. So I'm going to ask a question here because uh, growing up in the church, going to many different denominations, there are a couple of denominations out there who are the prosperity, what we call the prosperity crowd, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, whatever you want to call it. But the, when it says, I want you to have life and life more abundantly, I'm you know here to prosper, you know, to make you prosper. I don't think it means what some of these people think it means. It's, you know, uh, Mark, what do you what what does it mean to you when it says I'm you know I want you to have life and life more abundantly? I'm assuming you're not going to sing the old song, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? No. Um, well, one of the unfortunate things about false teachings is, beside they're wrong and could hurt people, is that that it hides the truth. Okay, there's no way you can read scripture, read the words of Jesus, look at the gospel, look at the cross and say that God didn't come to bring us life and bring it to the full. There's just too much in there. Um, And so what the prosperity gospel does is it takes that out of balance. But not just that, the prosperity gospel is a works gospel. So the true gospel is actually more prosperity than the prosperity gospel, because the prosperity gospel, you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to send your money into that TV evangelist to prove your faith so that then you can give to get that. That's not the gospel. The true gospel is way more valuable than that. It's you've become a child of God. You're a son and a daughter. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. All he has is yours. How is any good father not going to take care of their child and provide for what they need? So so that's how I would answer that. 
the real gospel is much more prosperous than the prosperity gospel because the prosperity gospel is just another works thing. Yeah. Do this and then you're going to get. So IJ define prosperous then, because I think a lot of people really see that as having all of their physical, we're back to the, you know, the people following Jesus after the loaves and fishes. Oh, you fed us. Uh, we want to make you king so you can keep taking care of us. And that's not how this works, right? That's, that's not the prosperity he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So again, you know, when we say prosperity, we just um, think of money, right? Buildings and cars. And But I think that is coming from the fact that, you know, for them, they see money as the only thing that uh, uh, prosperity means to them, right? So I think it mostly goes to where their heart is and how they are seeing life. You know, they think, uh, oh, money is only prosperity. And then they, first of all, you know, out of their greed, they think that, money is only prosperity and then and because of their guilt they oppose it so somehow in their mind they think having money is a bad thing so even though they want it they go against it because of all this wrong thinking but i think again you know we see the prosperities here right you know it says in uh, philippians i think it's in uh, um, in 419 my god shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by christ Jesus, right? And then the Lord Jesus Christ said here, I have come to give you life and life more abundant. The prosperity is basically the bottom line is the life of Jesus, receiving his life and living his life and enjoying his life daily is what is prosperity, right? That's what he's defining this year. I came to give you life and life more abundant. And what is that life? That is the life of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And again, here we see in Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need out of, not out of a bank account. My God is not going to supply all your need, you know, from some uh, storehouse. He's saying that according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So, and then we see, you know, again, Psalm 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, you know. Not lacking in any area of our life is prosperity, basically. And of course, you know, it's, we are not just talking about physical. If we are just talking about money, you know, there are billionaires, right? They are already prosperous. They don't need Christ. And the billionaires are some of the poorest people that I know. So we are just not talking about money. So we are first and foremost, you know, we are talking about prosperity in terms of having the life of Christ in us, right? You know, our spirits coming alive to God. And that is the first prosperity, right? We have the eternal life living inside us. So in the spirit area, we receive a new spirit, right? There is nothing we do. When if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The moment we believe in Lord Jesus Christ, we become a new creation. Now, that is our greatest position, whether we have something outwardly or not. That is our biggest position because the Bible says, you know, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Clearly, the soul is more valuable than the whole world. So the first is just having this eternal life, being born again, is our biggest prosperity. And then the second thing is a soul prosperity, right? The Bible clearly says in, uh, I think, John chapter 3, Beloved, that, you know, I wish that you prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. So when our soul is prospering, right, you know, we are happy on the inside. We are full of joy and peace and no guilt and condemnation. And Lord gives healing in every area, right? You know, our heart is healed, our thinking is healed, and our emotions are healed. 
and our pain is healed, right? So the second is a soul prosperity. And finally, I think, you know, Lord will also take care of our physical needs. In fact, you know, when you come to bodily health, a lot has to do with your soul prosperity. The more happy you are on the inside, even if you read Proverbs, right? A happy uh, life, I think a happy heart is health to your uh, uh, to all your bones, right? You know, I'm paraphrasing. But again, I think the third one is a physical, right? You know, we want to, God, I think in the gospel, we also have healing. So physical healing, physical health. Because I think I feel like, you know, personally, after your salvation, the greatest gift God can give us is bodily health. Because if you're not healthy, you know, we really cannot enjoy life. And finally, I think God will also take care of all our physical needs, right? Financial needs, our food, clothing, shelter, and comforts in life. All right. Well, I'm glad you guys cleared that up. And Ajay, I hijacked your point. So do I need to turn that back over to you to finish what you were saying on uh, the beginning of that verse there? The beginning of that well, verse. Well, you were starting at verse 10. Right, right, right. Yeah, so I think I was going back to pointing this out, right? So I think here it says, you know, whoever has, I came to live, give you life and life more abundant. I think it stops there, right? You know, everybody has their own idea of what abundant life is or what prosperity is. But I feel like, you know, that is actually explained in Psalm 23. And I'm going to real quickly go over it in two minutes without taking too much time. And maybe, you know, we can go into it at later point of time or maybe write a blog about it. But I feel like, you know, Psalm 23 is the description of the abundant life that Christ came to give us, right? So the first verse says, you know, God is my shepherd. I shall not lack. You know, there's no lack. You know, the good shepherd means supply. Everything we need, he gives. And in Bible says, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, right? So, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. That is abundant. And then he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That is rest. He gives a rest for our souls. And he leads me by still waters. That is peace. He gives peace to us. And he restores my soul. We just talked about it. That is soul prosperity. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, you know. We don't have to worry about, you know, walking righteously. He will cause our righteousness to shine. And then, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, you know. His presence, because he is with me, right? His presence drives away all fear. So it's a fearless life because of his presence. You know, in Hebrews it says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. So that we may boldly say, Lord is my helper. What can a man do to me? And then he prepares the table in the midst of my enemies, right? You know, right in the midst of our enemies. I think there's a secret here, uh, real quick. You know, the table, when we talk about the table, you know, we're talking about the communion, right? The body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when the enemy attacks us, you know, when there's a spiritual battle, Lord wants us to, you know, just sit and eat, right? He doesn't want us to focus on the enemy. So I feel like, you know, the, there's a secret here, right? When we are in a spiritual battle, we take communion, that is a secret. You know, we take the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the next one is, anoints my head with oil. That is, he pours his Holy Spirit upon us. And my cup runneth over. So we will always have extra, right? We will overflow. Our ministry is simply overflowing. We serve others out of our overflow. And finally, you know, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Every day we wake up, you know, we can expect goodness and mercy. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the house of the Lord is the body of Christ himself, right? You know, that means we dwell in Jesus forever. You know, this is our glory. So 
I kind of quickly went over it, but I think meditating on Psalm 23 will give us a picture of, you know, what abundant life is like. Can I, uh, I'd like to get back to our previous conversation a little bit on the good shepherd and how we know who the good shepherd is. We've already, well, Christ has already established in the text here that we know he's the good shepherd because he lays his life down for us. And as we as was mentioned, as we look around the world, there's a lot of other people claiming to be shepherds, Buddha and Mohammed and the different, many different polytheistic, you know, pantheism and all that. The tree is the good shepherd and the rock is the good shepherd, but he's the only one that we see that has laid his life down for me. There's another thing that's very exclusive to Christ, and that is that he was God that he claimed to be God. As we look around the rest of the world at everything else that religion and philosophy has to offer, not only is nobody dying for us, nobody else is claiming that they are the creator, they are God. And there are a ton of Christian cults out there uh, that that say that Christ is not God. They think he's a great prophet or a great teacher, but he's not God. And there are liberal theologians who say that Christ never claimed to be God. Well, here at the end of 10, I want to read this because it says, this. it's the summary of that whole chapter of Jesus teaching as he sat there teaching about being the gate being the only way in, being the good shepherd, all others are thieves and robbers. Uh, He summarizes to his Jewish opponents. He said, so at the end of this teaching, it says, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to him, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, this is one massive verse right here, clearly stating that Jesus is claiming to be God. And all those that were listening knew exactly what he was saying and were prepared to kill him for it, which they obviously in the end did. But that's another just exclusive thing that Christ claimed to be God, and by everything he did and said and by his resurrection, he proved that he that he is God. And it reminds me of, uh, I used to work at a recording studio, and I was working on a mix. One day the doorbell rings, and there's a young man out there, must have been in his mid-20s, late-20s, and he was from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he said, oh, I would li- like to talk to you. I think he said, some line like, do you know where you're going if you die tonight or something like that? And I said, you know, come on in, let's talk, you know? And I think he was like giddy because he doesn't get that too often. So we went into the control room of the studio. I uh, I brought up my online Bible. We are living in a wonderful time when we can have the entire Bible and search it just by a word. And he, he, he started sharing some of the things they believe. And he said, oh, you know, we don't believe that Jesus is God, that he was God or claimed to be God. Boom. I had a dozen verses showing Jesus saying that. Then he said, nobody in the Bible ever worshiped Jesus. And I'm like, what? Are you crazy? Boom. A dozen verses people kneeling and and worshiping Jesus. 
and Jesus receiving that worship, not rebuking him, um, rebuking them. If he was just a rabbi or a good teacher, that would have been blasphemy for them to do that because that deserves stoning, right? They tried to stone him for that. So um, it was just a really good, productive conversation. So about a week goes by, ding dong, it's him again. This time he's got a little bit older of a man with him. And it was clear when he came in that he brought out the big guns. This was supposedly their scriptural gunslinger who is going to come and refute everything. We sat down and I'll just say scripture shut his mouth. He could not respond to it. It is clear Jesus claimed to be God. People worshiped him and he laid his life down for us. He's the good shepherd and he's the gate. And, and as Ajay pointed out, not only is he the only one, the only way, but there's only one way to him. And that's by faith, by grace through faith in Christ alone and through the cross. Well, these are all great points, guys, and this there's a lot to unpack in John 10 overall. Uh, and I agree with you, Aj. Psalm 23 is an excellent, excellent uh, book to read, me- meditate on, uh, absorb. So um, I am looking at the clock, and I see we're starting to run out of time here. So as always, I want to give each you guys a chance to summarize or bring up your last point as you will. Uh, Mark, we missed you last week. I, I promise, no matter what I said, we missed you last week, so I'll let you go first. Sure. Well, thanks, Tim. I would like to try to summarize with a story. This happened years ago. There was a hot dog joint near where I lived, and it was kind of a hangout for everybody to come to. Everybody eat lunch and just talk and, you know, about all kind of things. Well, one day the um, the conversation turned to spiritual things. And I started sharing the gospel with this big group of, I don't know, a dozen men maybe. And one of the guys I I did not recognize, he was a young Jewish gentleman. And after we were done talking about Jesus, I said to him, so what do you think? And he said, you know what? I think that uh, Jesus was a, a good, a great teacher and a prophet. That's what I believe. And then I explained to him, as uh, C.S. Lewis's favorite chapter in Mere Christianity, that Jesus was either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. He's not a good teacher and a prophet if he is claiming to be God, if he is claiming to be the one way to God and so exclusive. He's either crazy and really believes that about himself, or he's a liar trying to manipulate people or he really is God. And I said, what do you think about that? And the gentleman said, well, then I guess I'll choose lunatic. And then I just said, well, the problem with that is he laid his life down for us. He healed people. His teaching was brilliant, the highest moral teaching. He had too much credibility. And this one of such great credibility said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate. There's only one way into that sheep's pen, and it's through him. He is the good shepherd. And we see him laying his life down. We see him claiming to be God. And we see him give, after he lays, lays his life down, he said, I not only have authority to lay it down, but I have authority to take it back up. And that's why I believe that exclusivity is a great thing. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I think uh, Mark uh, did an excellent job today uh, addressing the apologetic side of things, right? So exclusivity of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the divine, uh, I mean, Jesus is God, right? So awesome job, Mark. So I think I was focusing more on the application side. I think we have both apologetics and application today. So I would go back to our point again, right? I was making, you know, the secret to living an abundant life is seeing our Lord Jesus Christ as a good shepherd. You know, there are two secrets to living an abundant life. You know, very simple, but we miss it. You know, seeing God as our father, right? He says, I am a good father, right? If you being evil, you give good gifts to your children, how much more good gifts I will give to you who ask, right? So God gives good gifts to us. It's hard for us to believe. And seeing God as our father and seeing Jesus as our good shepherd, that is a secret to living that abundant life uh, uh, in this world. So I just want to end with this promise, Psalm 65:11. You crown the year with your goodness and, you pa- and your paths drip with abundance, right? So as we walk with Jesus and as we walk in Christ, as we follow him as our good shepherd, right? He's just dripping abundance all over. All we can expect is goodness and abundance as we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as our good shepherd. So I say, you know, see Lord Jesus Christ as a good shepherd who laid down his life for you and expect abundance. Wow, both of you guys are right on with your summaries tonight. And I love the fact that we do did have tonight apologetics and application, as you put it, Ajay. But um, I'm going to wrap um, with uh, some text out of Matthew 6. I think this is verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That prosperity are, it falls under the category of all these things. You know, we. you're right. The exclusivity is that Jesus is the way to heaven and to the Father. Jesus is and was God when he went to the cross, is God still today. And it is exclusive. There is a way into heaven into eternal life and into uh, a full a fully abundant life now and that is him and that is the one true gospel we'd like to thank you all for listening to us today we hope you're being blessed and if you're getting something out of this we would appreciate it if you would share our little podcast with your friends and family it really would help us out don't forget to visit our new website at www. UnveiledGospel.com. Check out all of our past episodes and our blog. And with that, I wish everybody a blessed day, and we'll talk to you the next time. Tim again. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. Our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.theunveiledgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. 
Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always, God bless, and we will talk to you the next time.